welcome back. Don't mean to yell, but welcome back. It's True Crime Trying. Uh, We're a podcast where three friends get together and talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. We've managed to keep this going for 46 episodes. What? What do we do for like our anniversary? That's coming up. (laughs) No. We should bring a big boy. Oof. Yeah, we could. We have some time. I'm like, which big boy shall we do? I was like, what do I have? Hmm. There's lots of big boys out there. I mean, you could go literally big boy like Kemper. I love Kemper. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, We gotta look. Oh. Are we? But but, sorry. (laughs) Forty-six episodes. We're still struggling. (laughs) Do I raise my hand? (laughs) You did. Uh, I don't know if this one has it, but like on Teams at my work. I feel like there is a way to like raise your hands on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. There's reactions. Oh, there it is. Ah, yeah, raise hand. And then it puts <laughs> you at the top of the screen. Oh, hi, Meredith has something to say to the class. <laughs> okay, how do you turn that shit off? <laughs> oh, you lower your hand. It's a raise your hand, lower your hand. Like, you have to actually do the activity. Oh, wow. That's too much clicking. Yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. Episode 46. Woo! Got it. I have a little bit of housekeeping. Me too. Do you want to go first? Yeah. So this is going back to the Daria episode. Okay. And I just want to gloat because I did find her birth date while I was working on the website and she's totally in Aries. Yeah. So we fucking nailed it. She was not passive. She was very aggressive. Super, super aggressive. (laughs) Okay. Speaking of finding birth dates, Meredith, I'm going to try and employ some of your sleuthing because I am apparently incapable. When you hear the name of of my person, persons okay. of interest in this story, if you could look them up. If you don't have luck, then that's fine. But I was like, I can't do any astrology on this. <laughs> no, I've got Ben Verified Ancestry. And then I found this one that's a free website. Um, and then also thank you, mom, for paying for the Ben Verified and wow. Ancestry. Wow. Ah, nice. Wow. <laughs> what was Daria's birthday? I don't remember now. <laughs> She's an Aries. That's all that matters. It just, I, she was an Aries. Do you remember if it was like the beginning of April or? Not a clue. Damn it. No. <laughs> I just wanted to see if it was like the same day as my mom's. <gasps> <laughs> well, my housekeeping is fun. Yay. We are welcoming Utah. Sup, Utah. Woo. So we only have 13 more states to go to get our collective 50. And then I was going through our analytics and I noticed an uptick in New Jersey listeners. So Ooh. ah, what's okay. up, New Jersey? Have we done a New Jersey one? I don't think we've done a New Jersey case yet, but I love New Jersey. My sister went to Rutgers and so we spent some time over there and then also out at the shore and <laughs> we had so much fun. That does sound fun. Whoever is listening in New Jersey, welcome and thank you for listening. Awesome, awesome. I don't know that I know anyone that lives in New Jersey. Hopefully you're not tanning like you were in the early aughts. Skin cancer is real. Be careful. <laughs> I do have a funny story about our one of our trips over there. So we, it was me, my husband, my in-laws, so my husband's mom and dad, and my sister. And we rented a car and we drove to Atlantic City from New <laughs> Brunswick. And on the way back from Atlantic City, we came across Snooky. What? In the wild? (laughs) In the wild, on the freeway. A Snooki. On the freeway? So they're filming her driving, and so it's her big black Escalade with all the pink trim and everything. Oh, no. And so my husband was driving, and so he's trying to get around because they've got, like, a film crew in the (sighs) back and a film crew in the front, and it's super obnoxious, and they're taking up, like, most of the freeway. Oh, 
we end up getting like up next to her and then passing her. And my husband's flipping her off through the window. And we're, <laughs> my sister and I are laughing and we're like, that's Snooky. And then my mother in law, who's so sweet, she goes, What's a Snooky? <laughs> blissfully unaware. It was a great trip. We had a good time. <laughs> okay. Cool. That was all I had for housekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Jersey. Uh, uh, yes, welcome, Jersey. And, and Utah. Utah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I might do some Mormon stuff eventually, so... Oh, I've already spoken out against some Mormon things, I feel, yeah. There's some good, like, uh, offshoot cults in Mormonism, and by that I mean really terrible cults. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm realizing, too, I mean, I've been annoyed by this several times where Dateline's like, they were such good people. They were God-fearing Christians. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what does that have to do with good? Yeah. But then the Dateline commercials are like, funded by Grand Canyon University, a private Christian college. And I'm like, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> that's why. They've got some real deep well, religious I mean, foundations funding there. a lot of people there. buy into that, oh, you're a Christian, you're a good person bullshit. So it's yeah. not true. Yeah. I think we talked about that last episode. I mean, I feel like it it comes up a lot for me, but realizing that, like, Dateline is that heavily ingrained with it, too. I'm just like, what? What? To be fair, though, if they're, if the money's coming in from those Christian places. They're fine with it. Yeah. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I don't think our (laughs) podcast is going to be funded by any Christian organization after all the shit we put on Christianity Badventist Corner. I mean, come on. All right. Anyway, are you bringing us a story of a good Christian? Uh, no. (laughs) Actually, I don't think there's a whole lot of religion in this one at all. Fair. All right, well, but we are going back to Canada. Yay! Canada. Canada. So this is a story of dark coincidence. (laughs) Okay. Mostly outside of Toronto, but there is some back and forth. So the house at 3635 Pitch Pine Crescent was usually filled with happy family gatherings, and it was a home of a very kind, welcoming family known as the Harrisons. So to start, Bridget was a good student when she was younger, and she was at age 16, doing so well in school and really enjoyed kind of theatrical performance and stuff like that. And she landed an uh, apprenticeship at Stratford Performing Arts Center in her town. Bill Harrison, at the time, was two years older than her and um, had also grown up in kind of a family of musicians and was heavily involved with theater and performance and all of that. He worked in um, the costume department at Stratford. And so when she first met him, she's 16, he's 18, she's immediately smitten. Do they have the same last name? No, no, no. She started off with a different last name, which I did not oh, somehow write I down. See, I Starts see. with an L. I get <laughs> Somewhere it now. here. Yeah, yeah. I thought this was a coincidence. <laughs> no. Bill Harrison and Bridget, Whatever. last name omitted, I can't remember what it is, uh, start dating. And they realize pretty quickly that things aren't going very well because it's the 1960s and he's a black man and she's a white woman. And so they're facing racism, terrible remarks, being shunned by racist people, whatever. So they, they've, they're already like set up against yeah. society in a way where they're like, no, we, we love each other and this is what, what it is. The end. Not your fucking problem. But yeah. Uh, so because they're so committed to each other, they work really hard at their relationship. And um, in 1969, they got married and they settled in a town called Mississauga. Mississauga? It's like Mississippi, but A-U-G-A at the end. Yeah, okay. you missed the Russian episode, Sarah, where I was stumbling over a lot of <laughs> Russian words. So oh, uh, That sounds like fun. Uh, so Canada also has some uh, indigenous namings that we just don't know mm-hmm. how to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I should have looked these up and found out the correct pronunciation. But even then, they might have been like, I don't know, the whiteified version. Yeah. So yeah, they worked really hard at the relationship and they turned out to be so good at what they, you know, how, how they worked together that everyone around them noticed. And they're just a couple that was so well suited that they became the pillars for their family and friends and they would come to them for advice and guidance in their own lives and like careers and relationships. So Bill works in sales and Bridget became a teacher and then a principal and then a superintendent and an eventually special assistant to the education minister. And this is kind of similar to like what my mom did because she was, was a teacher say, and then yes, a principal. Not, not superintendent, but she was a district administrator of sorts. And so it's just like, oh, yeah, you can climb the ladder like this and become like a really important person that affects yeah, she- lots and lots of lives. Bridget and your mom were killing it. <laughs> 
So Bridget's career influenced the lives of thousands, um, whether kids in the school systems where she worked um, with her expertise or those that she helped support and bring up kind of through the ranks to be in a career position for themselves. So everyone has really good things to say about her and Bill. Like everyone just loves this couple. So they, of course, had been wanting a family, but they couldn't conceive on their own. So instead, they adopt a six-month-old Caleb in 1973. Caleb was described as a little rascal. He's always curious, always on the move, getting into stuff, not only as like a toddler, but like as he's becoming a kid and a teen. <laughs> he's troublesome. I wouldn't know anything about a troublesome toddler. <laughs> right, like I, I don't have kids, but you know. They're horrible. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but it's fun. Like, yeah. It's the most beautifully horrible thing one can do with their lives. <laughs> that sounds about okay. right. Great. The most beautifully horrible thing. It's funny, too, because, like, you become a parent and then you're like, I never thought I would have to fucking say shit like that. Like, I literally just had to tell my daughter, why are you licking crackers? <laughs> to get the salt. Wait, and I know, but, like, she's in the backseat and she's just like, <laughs> <laughs> just eat the cracker, Jesus. Sometimes things are nicer when just they're slightly soggy. Normal. <laughs> True. Uh, well, at least that's the only way that she's like acting well, strange. Well, she's stealing keys and doing. <laughs> she steals keys, and she stole a- another key this week. <gasps> and I'm like, Girl. adults be looking for their keys all the time, so oh, yeah. leave the keys alone. <laughs> he unfortunately struggled in school. He had a speech impediment, but I mean, it's a good thing that his mother was an educator because then she has expertise and can help deal with this. But that also meant that she was a bit more strict because she had high expectations of her son. So this caused Bill to kind of be, he would like step in and be the peacekeeper, I guess, in this family. So Caleb and his his mom were kind of like, would butt heads every now and then. And Bill's just like, now, now, we all love each other. Just calm down. I don't know. (laughs) So when Caleb graduated high school, he went to work immediately in the shipping and receiving business. I guess this is like around the time when this was kind of starting to take off or like, I guess, eBay and stuff like that was a thing. Oh, okay. I mean, not just eBay, but like lots of things were like, no, he was, he was born in 73. So like late nineties, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Right. Because like 18 years later, mid to late nineties. like early eBay and stuff. Yeah. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Commerce was kind of starting up. Yeah. So like e-commerce. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's doing like the shipping and receiving thing and it's taken off. So it's doing well. Her last name was Blackwell. Oh, that's right. Okay. That's not the name, though. Uh, it's not? <laughs> it's not the name yet, no. Okay. The Harrisons, the Harrisons are not the, they're the like, good people. The Harrisons sound nice. They're very nice. So, Caleb graduates high school. He went to work immediately in the shipping and receiving business. The e-commerce stuff was just kind of starting to take off. So, he is doing well. He worked in a specialty store that sold collector's dolls online. And so, there was this, like, giant warehouse and he was in the shipping department. Of dolls? I know. It sounds creepy. Oh, like, creepy. I know. <laughs> it's super creepy. Especially collector's I don't think he was, dolls. He wasn't a collector. He was just packing up the boxes and sending them to people. I have started following a bunch of American Girl meme accounts on Instagram, though. Oh, no. So I can't talk shit about dolls, I guess. Right. So it was at this department, at this specialty store, that at age 27, he meets a girl named Melissa Merritt. She was 19 at the time. Mm. Highlighted blonde hair, girl next door vibes. Her father was a police officer and her brother became one too. She kind of grew up in this household where men were manly and Mm. women had kids kind of thing. Okay. She was engaged to her high school boyfriend when she met Caleb. So she's like right out of high school, still engaged with her high school sweetheart, meets Caleb and breaks it off almost immediately to pursue a relationship with him. I gotta say that I'm actually really happy I didn't have a high school sweetheart because (laughs) what? (laughs) I'm fucking married to mine. (laughs) Well, you, you, yours worked out, but most of the time you have to like... You, you kind of cling to it for a little bit and then you have to cut it off eventually and it's the whole thing. Or if, you, or if mean, you're compatible and you grow together and you have all those experiences together too and you can yeah. still grow as a person. Yeah. It, it depends on the couple. I wonder what me and my high school crush, I don't know if we would be. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, doing no, well. You might be the right. subject of this podcast. <laughs> or he might be. Mm-mm. Oh, man. Well, Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, so she breaks it off with her high school sweetheart to pursue this relationship with Caleb. Apparently, she had wanted children, and her high school sweetheart wanted to wait just a few more years and enjoy he was enjoy their youth. Yeah, he wanted to enjoy his, his youth more. Yeah. And he was like, let's smart not dude. procreate yet. Yeah, smart <laughs> yeah. dude. Stick with that one. But there's... There's some statement somewhere where Melissa had lost an ovary to some medical condition and she might eventually lose the other. So she was desperate to get started on her family. So it was really important for her then to be a mom. Yeah, she wanted, I mean, that's what she was raised with was like the men are manly and they help, you know, keep order in the household because they're both cops. And the, I mean, her mom, I think she had a couple other siblings too. But anyway, so she wanted, she wanted kids and he didn't. So she pursues something else. Within months of meeting, Caleb and Melissa are expecting. Well, you know, she got what she wanted. Yeah. Okay. By the three-year mark, they have two kids, and they've moved into a house in Georgetown, 30 minutes away from their families in Mississauga. So they're starting to um, experience some marital problems, though. Caleb's been drinking a little bit, and she's starting to make these weird complaints. They both start actually filing complaints about each other in family court. So Melissa had embellished her health problems and told both of their families that she was battling ovarian cancer when she all she, I don't want to say all she had was an ovarian cyst because I've never had one. They sound painful, but it's not cancer. Mm-hmm. But by that point, the damage was done. So she'd already pretty much lost Caleb's trust because of her lying She'd, you know, ruin the family's trust in her because how do you recover from saying you have cancer when you actually don't? Marriage is falling apart. Everyone's kind of mad. And so Caleb's like, how can I be with this woman who can't, you know, tell the truth? This might be what happens when you, you know, have kids with someone you just met and you haven't really had time to figure out who each of you are. Who they are. Yeah. Yeah. So in June 2005, Melissa called the police making a statement that Caleb had attacked her. He was arrested and charged with domestic assault. Um, so Caleb then leaves. He's like, F this, I'm out. He moves back in with his parents yeah. while Melissa stays in Georgetown and kept the children from him. Hmm. And then through all of this too, Caleb's drinking problem worsens and he drives oh. home drunk one night and hits a taxi head on. Oh, so this kills the driver. He survives, but he's oh, got terrible fuck. injuries. But the driver's dead. His parents are absolutely devastated. He's, like, messed up from it, mentally and physically. He was charged with drunk drive, drunk driving causing a death. I'm not sure if this is different in Canada, but this is the only way I've ever seen it stated in any of the articles. So it's, like, not manslaughter, but... Or vehicular homicide. Yeah. They call it drunk driving causing a death. Okay. All right. That's Canadian, what it was. In. <laughs> yeah. He was released on bail due to his poor health condition from the accident with the stipulation that he must live with his parents during his recovery. He'd been so severely injured in the accident that he could barely walk. So he like needed crutches to get around. But let me remember remember the man from Marty's episode that drove off a fucking cliff or jumped off a (laughs) fucking cliff. They still made him go to jail. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Not in Canada? I I guess not in Canada. So a few weeks later, Melissa again calls the police stating that she'd been attacked in her backyard. And she says, you know, it was it was my my husband. You need to go and, and check up on him or whatever. And so they go to the Harrison's home following her pointed finger and find Caleb still badly bruised, re- recovering, unable to really walk anywhere without crutches. He's not in prime attack mode. No. In an official statement, he said Melissa obviously had no idea that he was even injured when she tried to point the finger at him, when obviously it couldn't have possibly been him. Which means she might have been lying the other time, and she already lied about her ovaries, so... Dump Melissa. Get your story straight. Oh, I said dump Melissa. I'm like, but get your kids. Duh, Melissa. Duh, Duh, Melissa. Yeah. She continues reporting more home invasions, though, around the same time, um, and no charges are ever followed through. So the police are like, nah. (laughs) Even after she figured out that he was uh, hobbling? Yeah. Yeah. One officer even said, quote, I'm 100% convinced that she made up the whole story. Sure. So that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. Just like, cool, officer, you got this. Yeah, you're reading between the lines. So Melissa had deliberately misled police to try and implicate Caleb's abuse and create some suspicion around him, but they never charged her for her, you know, wrongdoings or wasting their time or anything. Maybe that's not a thing in Canada either. I don't know. In October of that year, several months after the initial supposed assault had happened, the judge granted Caleb access to his children on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and every other weekend. So they have to drive back and forth 30 minutes each way. It's just like, why wouldn't you have it be like Monday, Tuesday, or like Tuesday, Wednesday? I know, I actually know. in a row, that would make yeah. a lot more sense. <laughs> But yeah, so obviously Melissa's pissed at this. In the winter of that year, Melissa meets a man online named Christopher Fattore. 
He was 28, 6'4", and heavily built. So he's built like a linebacker. A shit brick house. A brick <laughs> shit. A brick shit house. <laughs> a, brick shit house. <laughs> a shit brick house. <laughs> a shit brick house. Sorry. I tried. <laughs> he worked in Toronto as a Hooters kitchen manager. Oh, is it the Haunted Hooters? Is oh. it? I don't actually remember where the Haunted Hooters was. No, I don't think so. That was in your last Canadia episode. No, that was in mine. Oh, was it? I was like, I don't remember there being a Haunted Hooters. It was when I went on a very long side tangent about Tilly Clemmick. Oh. oh. That's right. The Haunted Hooters. <laughs> okay. So he's a Hooters kitchen manager, nightclub bouncer, things where he can throw his weight around a bit. Hilariously, he had tried going to beauty school, but ended up failing or dropping out. Okay. Just like picturing this like football player looking dude. Trying to cut his <laughs> hair. Delicately applying makeup. Yeah. <laughs> he and Melissa dated for a little less than a year when he proposed in October of 2006 on the day of his birthday, which is kind of cute. It's like, this is the best birthday gift you could give me. <laughs> it's ah, funny. But then, but then we have to combine my birthday and my anniversary. I'd rather have a separate day to celebrate. Just the proposal. It doesn't have to be your anniversary. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Do I like that? I don't know. I don't know. Also, I'm pretty sure the Haunted Hooters is in Chicago. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because Tilly was from the, yeah. the Polish area of Chicago. Yeah. I'm sure there's a Haunted Hooters somewhere up in Canada. Probably. The wedding date was set for spring the following year, but Melissa soon realized there was a problem. She was still married, married to Caleb. Rut <laughs> row. Oh, <laughs> this woman. She later stated that, quote, I made a mistake when I thought that after two years of separation, you were automatically divorced. She is kind of dumb. Okay, yeah. So what do they do? They go ahead and get fake married anyway. Why don't Why don't you get a divorce? Like a real they one? They have yeah. a whole ceremony and everything and got fake married. There's just so like they're no not certificate. actually fucking married. Okay. Yeah. But they have the whole ceremony with guests and everything? Yeah. Oh, okay. They like rented out like this cute banquet hall and everything and like went through with the entire thing, but it was all a sham. What the fuck? Like, why (laughs) waste your fucking money? Yeah. Weddings are expensive. I also wonder who officiated, because usually you sign something at the end of the day. There's a document. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of an important one. Well, they apparently didn't do any of that part. They're just like, yay, we're married. With the power of In imagination land. Good job. (laughs) The banquet hall was called, like, fantasy something. Oh, my God. God, That's hilarious. (laughs) Well, they did get... Married in fantasy land, so it makes sense. They then proceed to have four kids over five years, which makes Melissa a mother of six with her one ovary. Fuck. She didn't have to be so worried when she was 19 about having kids. Yeah. Also, ouch. But, like, Mm -hmm. you're barely recovering, then you're pregnant again. (laughs) Those are called Irish twins, or, like, if they're born within... Like twelve months of each other, so would it be Irish fucking I mean, four quadruplets? In five years, yeah, that's fucking insane. Shoot yeah. them out like a t-shirt cannon. Oh fuck! <laughs> boom, She's boom, got a boom. Slide attachment now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lots of kids. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. lots of kids. She couldn't hold a job though, and due to their inability to manage money, she can't hold down a job. He doesn't have very high paying jobs. They can't plan anything in advance, and they relied heavily on social assistance and loans from family to be able to make ends meet because they've got so many damn kids. And she never got a divorce in these five years. Yeah. Okay. At the same time, so things are somehow like they're, I guess, legally separated. I don't know if. At some point, they've legalized one and then the other as far as being divorced and then married, like a small courthouse thing or something. I don't know. But at some point, they're arguing over custody. And so a judge grants Caleb 50% custody. So instead of being this Tuesday, Thursday, and every other weekend bullshit, he now gets like, I think it's like a week on, week off with them. Okay. Since he still lived with his parents, this means that Bill and Bridget were also heavily involved with the kids' lives, and they're loving their living grandchildren. Yeah, Hannah. I had to raise my hand. So did Caleb <laughs> not actually get into like trouble about killing the taxi driver? He did, but because he's still recovering, like he can't, he still can't walk. He like I think his legs and stuff were like shattered. Okay, oh. like even five years later. 
this is I mean it's five five years, but this is like around the same at the same time. Okay. So like it's at some point in this story because they got fake married in two thousand early two thousand seven, and then the next part of this story comes in two thousand eight. So like okay, Melissa and Christopher have five four kids over five years. The next five years. Okay. But not not prior to this part of the story. Sorry. It's like concurrent with all the drama that's happening. Okay. They keep popping them out. Okay. Do, do, do. So we're like in 2008. All right. I have a sense of time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. The I should like drop a little t- like <laughs> a, a timeline horizontal thingy, a scale. So Caleb has 50% custody. Bill and Bridget are loving being able to be part of the kids' lives. They're fulfilling yeah. the roles um, and are called Nana and Papa. They mm. love the kids, very involved with all of their things. They drive them to and from school. Um, they sign them up for activities in town. They help them with their homework. That's so sweet. Melissa, again, hates this. Oh, because they're good people. Mm-hmm. Treated her kids well. She berated well. the Harrisons for how much that they were influencing her kids, how much they were involved in their lives, and didn't want them to play any part in it. Well, aren't you a selfish fucking bitch, right? Melissa? It's like, Jesus. You clearly don't care about the well-being of your children. You just are, yeah. So she then went on to make five more unsubstantiated claims within the next two years, from 2008, 2009-ish. I thought you were going to say kids. Me too. <laughs> No, unsubstantiated kids. Five, <laughs> Five more kids. She's like the fucking mother goose over here. What was no. that? The little old lady who lived in the shoe? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Had so many children. She like, didn't know what to they're do. On, they're on like the equivalent of welfare with oh, yeah. six kids Four permanently and two semi-permanently. Okay, five more unsubstantiated claims within two years that either Caleb or his parents had assaulted the children on more than one occurrence. After investigating, they concluded that the children had been coached by Melissa on what to say. The sure. police were like, this is bullshit. Um, and they didn't proceed with any investigation. The kids are like, mommy told me to tell you. Yeah, or they're like using words that like a kid that age wouldn't use mm-hmm. or something to like, yeah, or like the, their sentences match too closely. Anywho, in December 2008, Melissa again was refusing the Harrison family to be able to see the children at all. Three days before Christmas, a judge is like, fucking stop it and formally yeah, you can't do <laughs> ordered that. her to stop interfering with shared custody. So then in March 2009, Caleb had recovered enough and started serving an 18-month jail sentence for the drunk driving incident um, involving a death. And Bridget and Bill were then granted the 50% custody in the meantime during his jail term. So they pick up his custody share. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. They're good grandparents. Yeah. And the judge also decided that because it's in the best interest of the children to help maintain the environment that they're used to. Yeah, and Nana and Papa are taking them to school. They're and they're involved in activities yeah. and stuff there. Yeah. So that was in March. He starts his jail sentence on April 16th, 2009. Bridget was returning home around 9 p.m. from a school board meeting. She walked into her house, which is dark, unexpectedly. And she's thinking that she's going to see, um, or at least hear from, Bill. Yeah, mm-hmm. But all she hears is the television, so she calls out for him and doesn't get any answer. She goes upstairs to check the bedroom, seeing if he went to bed early or something. He's not in bed. She went back downstairs and saw that the bathroom door was closed with the light on. So she calls for him again. No answer. Knocks on the door. No answer. Tries the knob. It's locked. So she knocks on it more and eventually decides that she's going to pick the lock. So she picks it, and this is like a door where like you can lock from both sides kind of okay. thing. So she picks it and she finds Bill inside the bathroom slumped over on the floor and she calls 911. Bill wasn't breathing. The door was locked. He was home alone. Like, I don't know about you, but if I'm home alone and I'm not expecting anyone to be home for a while, I'll just pee with the bathroom door. I was going to say, I do not shut the bathroom door and I have to remember to do it. Why would you close it it? and lock it? Yeah. I have to remember to do it when I have people over (laughs) just so that... (laughs) So, and it, I mean, it did lock from both sides, too. So that's kind of like a, hmm. I also weird. don't really like the idea yeah. that you can lock someone in the bathroom. But they, they can turn But I guess they can the unlock side. it again. That seems yeah. dumb, but okay. I think it's one of those things where there's like a, a key turn mechanism. Mm. Like I, on my bedroom door, like we can lock it with just the knob on the inside, but on the outside, mm-hmm. you have to have a key to get in. Uh-huh. I okay. think that's the kind of door that, because she, she used a pin to be able to pick it. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Anyway. 
So the lights in the house are off. The door is locked. He's dead inside. He was also in decent health because he's constantly running around with these kids and doing activities and stuff with them. So it's not like he was like had heart failure or was overweight or something that had like, you know, some sort of incident that would lead it to be not natural. Yeah, go for it. I just always have a fear of having an aneurysm on the toilet. Oh, <laughs> right? yeah. that's so real. Yes. Oh, and embarrassing. Legit, one of my fears, like someday somebody's gonna find me dead on the toilet. (laughs) Ah, sorry. Wasn't there an SNL skit about a toilet that like yeets you if you end up dying on the toilet? It like yeets you out of the bathroom onto like your bed or something. Oh no, that's nice. (laughs) So it looks like you died peacefully in your sleep (laughs) with your pants down. You're not wearing any pants, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. I don't know if it was SNL or something, but I remember seeing that somewhere. Okay, so side note. At the time, Canada didn't have its own forensic pathology training program, and there was a severe shortage of, like, experts in the area, in in Ontario. So at this time, non-forensic pathologists were routinely performing these autopsies that are potentially crime-related. So Dr. Timothy Feltis was one of these. He hadn't been trained in, like the normal way because it it wasn't available at the time in Canada and forensic pathology was like I guess kind of a relatively new field with the advancement of science at the time so if a coroner were to make a statement if the police coroner were to make a statement that a death appears to be natural the pathologist that performed the autopsies wouldn't necessarily be looking for signs of foul play okay long story short Bill's death was marked as unsuspicious because people die in the bathroom all the time like we were just talking about (laughs) like our greatest fears and so our guy Tim Timothy Feltis wouldn't have necessarily known that it was yeah. supposed to be flagged as suspicious. How did the police already make a statement on if the autopsy hadn't been done? Because of the position and like there didn't seem to be any other signs of foul play in the house. Okay. Like no other evidence was pointing to and like he didn't have any marks on him or anything that indicated. Timothy Feltis did find that Bill's body was in perfect health. There weren't any signs of disease, no aneurysm, stroke, heart attack, embolism, anything like that appeared to have happened to him. What he did discover were minor abrasions on Bill's neck that appeared to be coincide with a necklace that he wore. And there was a large bruise on his scalp and most surprisingly, a fractured sternum. Oh, oh. that's significant. Yeah. So the day after Bill was found dead, there was more unfortunate news. The children were missing. (gasps) Weird! I wonder where they are! So Bridget was freaking out. She had gone to pick them up from school that day on on their custody day, because she hadn't seen them the day before that she was supposed to pick them up. Like, yeah, like everything's supposed to happen. So on their custody day, she goes to the school, and the school's like, oh, they're not here. And she's like, what? And she's like, yeah, they were truant today. So it was determined that Melissa had taken them and she and Chris left town. So Bridget goes to the police, but they couldn't take any immediate action against Melissa because the family court paperwork was still in flux. And so almost a week passed before she was able to be in front of a judge and argue her point. And then on April 23rd, she was granted temporary sole custody of the children, which were still in Melissa's possession, mm-hmm. in Melissa's keep. So she did have them. She has them, yeah. The, M- Melissa has the kids somewhere. And the police are now uh, issuing a warrant for her arrest. So Melissa and Christopher had abducted the children and taken them across the country. They were on the move looking for cheaper rent. They found cheaper rent in Nova Scotia. Okay. Police were alerted to their whereabouts when Chris provided a rent check um, with his real name on it. And then in November, Melissa was arrested, charged with child abduction, returned to Ontario in police custody. um, And then the children were finally turned over to Bridget. So she takes them home to Pitch Pine. She and Caleb are able to have sole custody of them now. Caleb, by this time, has been released from jail on good behavior. And the kids are back in school. They've got a stable home life. Everything seems to be slowly improving for them. They have been on a wild ride, but... Oh, yeah. Like, no school for Mm -mm. months. I did learn an interesting fact from a family member of ours that, like, during Christmas break, your kid can experience, right, so it's a two-week break, Uh your kid can experience a three-month slide back in knowledge if you're not actively engaging them in learning. (gasps) I always want to take that as a solid vacation from learning. (laughs) Right? Oh my goodness. Oh, damn. Two weeks equals three months? That's not even fair. It's all the sugar and late nights. Right. Well, that's why I do worksheets for my daughter when we have breaks. I'm like, do some math. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. 
All right. So, yeah, she abducted them in April. It's November when she's arrested and they're finally turned over. So they haven't been in school or having any stable home life until then, which is awful. Fucking ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Clearly, she doesn't have the children's best. What was I going to say? Best interest. Interest in mind. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Everyone's mourning Bill's death at the Harrison home, but things seem to be kind of improving, especially now that Caleb's home too. So Melissa was eventually released on bail with the conditions that her visitation has to be supervised with the kids. You know what? I wouldn't give her any more visitation. Yeah. And she can't leave her own house without prior authorization. Fair. So, so it's like the ankle monitor thing or? I, I guess, but I don't but know if that's Canada, actually. Canada, it's polite. You just have to like, like call them. Okay, we'll trust you. <laughs> I gotta go to Target. Yeah. So on April 10th, 2010, Melissa and Christopher Duet. They don't. They drive to Pitch Pine. And get permission to away. leave the house. Uh huh. They drive 30 minutes away back to Pitch Pine, violating the court order. They park a few houses down the street. And Melissa stays in the car and Chris goes to the front door of the Harrison house. He knocks on it and Bridget answers and he says he has a letter for the kids. Around the same time, Caleb's coming home and he's got the kids in his car and he drives by and sees Melissa and Chris's car down the street and Melissa's kind of like shrinking down in it, like fucking creepy. Just keep Mm -hmm. driving. So he gets home and he's like, you gotta go. You you leave. And Bridget is so spooked by this incident that she calls the police. And then Melissa is arrested again and spends three days in jail for breaching the court order in the bail. That's not very much time. No. Three (laughs) days for like a fucking creepy incident. Yeah. 11 days later, on April 21st, the day before the official abduction hearing was supposed to even take place, Caleb's eight-year-old son comes home from school. He is riding his bike. He opens the front door and discovers his Nana's body lying at the bottom of the stairs. No, fuck that. Nope. He runs crying to his neighbor's house, and for the second time within a year, ambulances are dispatched to the Harrison residence. Huh. <sighs> so, a fall down the stairs was the early theory in her death investigation, but the family, of course, doesn't buy it. There's no way anyone falls down the stairs and ends up in that position, Caleb told his cousin, Nicole. It doesn't look right. It doesn't make sense. Bridget was laying face up with her arms at her side, head resting on the bottom stair, and her eyes are, like, open. And I don't, like, it just looks like a too peaceful way to be laying if you had that bad of a fall. Yeah, Yeah. you just kind of, like, take it a nap. The coroner on the scene was concerned because there's abrasions and bruising on her chin and neck and other areas of her body, which indicate like prior injuries that aren't consistent with any type of fall that they can match. Okay. And so her death was kind of flagged as suspicious, unlike Bill's. Okay. So this means that forensic pathologists can get involved instead of just a a non-forensic pathologist. In um, a case conference two days later, the pathologist, the forensic pathologist explained to police that the injuries to the front of her neck combined with petechial hemorrhaging, which is like that red dots along the white of your eye um, Mm -hmm. and skin, which are caused when your blood vessels break when you're, when you have like a high pressure situation from like your neck being compressed and stuff, meaning that she may have been strangled. She also had broken bones at the back of her neck, not like ones that are seen in compression cases, which, which would support the, Mm -hmm. the fall theory. Okay. So at this time, they basically say that they don't know how she succumbed to this combination of injuries, that it doesn't make sense any which way. So it was flagged, but still unsuccessfully pointing at any one thing. After noting similarities between the two deaths, though, unexplained injuries and all, the chief forensic pathologist, Michael Polanin, which is like, it's Michael Pollan, but then you add an E in. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Michael Polanin wanted to further investigate these coincidences. He wanted to exhume Bill's body to see what else that might be present could be matched to the different ways that they've died. Yeah. But he couldn't because Bill had been cremated. Fuck. Oh. Police were questioning Caleb, of course, because he's the person who lives at the house, who, without his peacekeeping father around, people knew that he was having a strained relationship with his mom because they've always butt heads ever since he was little. But Caleb explained that while, yes, things with his mother were sometimes difficult, he loved his parents dearly and he had a solid alibi. He'd been working at the time. Mm-hmm. And then he pointed out the history with Melissa and Christopher. Like, guys, come on. Look at, right? look at yeah. this thing. He asked police to look into their whereabouts during the time of his mother's death. Um, So they do. Melissa had apparently been home caring for the children and also additional children because she's starting up this or trying to start up this home daycare. She loves kids so much. She's so good at taking care of them. (laughs) Yeah, that she's going to set up these people to be murdered and have her children find them. Yeah, she's such a great 
fucking yeah. mom, you fucking bitch. I'm yeah. mm, sorry. Mama bear over here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not even a mama bear and I'm like living at this fucking woman. Oh my God. I just, ugh, garbage. So, yeah. Melissa's kind of got an alibi because she's got another parent saying, yes, she was taking care of my toddler. So there's no way that she could have been somewhere else kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Christopher, on the other hand, stated that he had been out running errands. So without a way to corroborate the whereabouts, I mean, there were a couple places that they know that he stopped because there are receipts for it, but they don't know the timeline on that. Okay. But the investigation effectively stalled. What? Yeah. I'm like, what? I'm having a lot of questions about Canada's law enforcement after these two episodes that you're bringing us. They're little Mounties. What's going on? (laughs) You couldn't find What's-His-Face to save your fucking life. And now you won't even follow up on on a lead? Ah. Yeah. Sorry, Canada. I'm just, I'm pissed. I'm pissed. After a final case conference on June 10th, the pathologist presented their findings to police and explained several possible mechanisms of injury, but presenting findings from their own investigation, the police say that there's no evidence of foul play um, within the house. They can't find anything else, no fingerprints or anything that would show that someone else was there. There's no signs of a struggle or anything. Okay. And the injuries can't be explained by any one mechanism, so the death then is classified by the coroner as undetermined. Poor Caleb is all alone now. Oh, Yeah. He's in his parents' house in Pitch Pine. Yeah. Which... I might want to leave. Yeah. Family and friends are describing him as a devoted father. He'd had sole custody since Melissa pleaded guilty to the child abduction charges after Bridget's death. So, like, the timeline of that lined up where basically... Right, because she died right before she was supposed to testify about it in court. Mm -hmm. So Melissa had visitation supervised every second weekend. And approaching the summer of 2013, Caleb had agreed to a temporary schedule with her just to try and keep the peace and make things a little bit easier on both of their working schedules, where the kids would spend every other week with their mother. Melissa wanted the arrangement to continue beyond just temporary, and on July 10th, she filed an application for shared custody. She said, quote, I have communicated with Caleb on numerous occasions over the past 12 to 18 months in an attempt to reach an agreement with him on the children spending more time with me. The agreement is no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and there's a little bit more. Sorry. Quote, Caleb has been unwilling to entertain any increase in time, contrary to the children's best interest. You stole them. Unless I agree to his child support demands. Oh, yeah. okay. He, he doesn't justify this with a response. So it's it stands basically the way that it was supposed to be, <sighs> that her, her shared custody time comes to an end. Okay. But because he didn't file a response, the night before the schedule is supposed to change back to the limited access for Melissa, Caleb is killed as he sleeps in his bed. His body was found, word spread to all the horrified relatives and friends... It doesn't say who found his body in the articles that I read, but I'm assuming because the kids were It had there, to be one of the kids. It had to be one of them. One relative shouted at a police officer, how could you just let this happen? And yeah. there's police cars lining the streets. Yeah. Detectives are like knocking on doors trying to find someone nearby that has some sort of surveillance that might have caught a car around the same time that this was supposedly happening with no, no success. Well, we don't have to do your job, cops. You fucking figure yeah. it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're trying to find some concrete evidence because nothing so far has helped. <sighs> Where the fuck are you looking? I feel like yeah. they could have looked a little harder. Yeah. I'm going to say right now, and this is something that we say in our house, you got to look with your oh, eyes, yeah. not with your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. They needed yeah. to hear Mounties, that. Mounties, eyes, not eyes. mouth. Eyes. Fuck. So Caleb's autopsy revealed that he had been strangled, and it changed the way the police are now viewing his mother's death, you think? Huh. Yeah. So finally, homicide investigation takes over. It's not just the coroner flagging it as potentially Mm. important for forensic pathologists. It's like, no, this is murder. Yeah. Homicide needs to be here. So finally, police are looking into all three deaths to determine how they're connected, because at this point, they have to be. I have an idea. Can I help you? Oh. Hi, Otter. <laughs> He's like, I am here. Hello. Mom, you didn't call me for podcasting time. No. All right. Two weeks after his murder, Melissa filed an application seeking sole custody is of the kids. fucking delusional. Explaining that her ex-husband had died, and this news is tragic and very shocking. So guess what? The application was granted. Within weeks, 
She and Christopher are headed for the East Coast again with all six children. Only this time, police are watching them more closely. In January 2014, police arrive at their home in Nova Scotia, where they'd been living since November. They were handcuffed and charged with first-degree murders of Caleb and Bridget. And that night, after a 13-hour intense interview with a detective, Christopher confessed. He said that in 2010, he'd gone to the Harrison's house with a note, pretending that it was for the children, and when Bridget opened the door, he attacked her. So it seems like when Caleb came home early with the kids that day, he stopped the first attempt prior to that actually being able to happen. Yeah. Because it was like 11 days later or something. Laura in the background. Hi. You trying to get over here? Hi, buddy. (gasps) Oh, careful. What's happening? No, look at him. Look at you. He's so sweet. So... When she opens the door, he forces it open and attacks her. He hit her several times and then said that he squeezed her neck until she collapsed on the floor. He's a very big boy. Yeah, he's he's huge. Yeah. It's like, um, oh, who's the guy with the rabbit? Lenny? Oh, yeah, from Mice and Mad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but he was a gentle giant. Yeah, not so gentle this one. Three years later, he said he drove to Pitch Pine again under the cover of darkness, wore black gloves, shoes purchased from Walmart, and a hoodie. And I, I'm cutting this part out of the story because it's going to otherwise be like super long. But there's all of this evidence is matched up later. Okay. What are you doing? I'm podcasting, Mom. There were timelines that didn't match up with when he arrived to work when he said he did. And a hoodie that he said he had purchased from Walmart because he dirtied up this hoodie with blood and such. Anywho, he let himself into the house with a key that he stole from one of the children. Followed the sound of the white noise fan that Caleb keeps on when he's sleeping. Stood... Otter? Oh my god. (laughs) like knocking shit over, stood over Caleb while he was sleeping and raised the baseball bat that he kept hidden in his sleeve. He raised it high and brought it down onto his chest. Caleb didn't immediately, yeah, didn't immediately die. Well, that was Bill that had the broken sternum. But this is Caleb with the same injury. Mm -hmm. When Caleb sprang up, he was obviously surprised from a dead sleep. (laughs) Chris picked him up and threw him into a shelving unit in the bedroom. And then because he's knocked over, he's now on top of him and he's strangling him. And the police didn't see this like disruption of No, this is the one that they knew. Oh, Oh, It was obviously a homicide. Okay. Because this one didn't go as easily as the other. So um, at this time, he's insisting that Melissa knew nothing of either of these until after the fact. And he had said basically that he thought by doing so that he would be able to help Melissa get custody of the kids. Whatever. You yeah, fuck no, face. I don't believe a fucking word. Yeah. Days after the confession, police put them in a room together at the Halifax airport. And they believe, because they're ding dongs, <laughs> uh, that they're actually alone. And they begin to whisper behind closed door. They are ding dongs, but they got, they killed three people. Not the brightest crayons in the box. No. The fuck? So there's a recording of their three-hour conversation that they played at the trial, along with months of intercepted communications from their home, because the police also had installed wiretaps in their Nova Scotia place all those months prior. There's a whispered conversation that began after the police shut the door at that airport, and he says to her, I'm taking the rap for it, to give you accessory after the fact. How romantic. Yeah. Additionally, in their rush to meet, to leave Mississauga after Caleb's murder, Melissa and Chris left a lot of their personal belongings behind in a trailer that was too broken down to be able to make it on the road trip mm-hmm. across the country. Okay. So the police basically claim this as evidence and they go through it. Inside, police find an old laptop containing an extensive internet search history that might have been available to investigators years prior if they'd sought search warrants after Bridget's death. Mm. Or, you know, even after after Bill's Bill's death. death. Two months before Bridget was murdered, there was a search for, quote, what if a grandparent has legal custody and they die? Three weeks before she was murdered, quote, how long does it take to die from choking? Whoa. And... Quote, how long does it take for a person being strangled to pass out? Huh. Hmm. Hmm. These are not unsimilar from our internet searches, <laughs> though. Oh. I mean, yes, but I also don't have a grandmother that has custody of my kids. It's <laughs> yeah. less applicable to my actual life. Yes. We're probably flagged, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Please, FBI, like and share us or whatever. Write a review. Do you pretend you have an NSA agent assigned to you and you're like, hi, Marcus. Hi, Marcus. 
I think mine's name would be Teddy. I don't know. Teddy. <laughs> hey, Teddy. How's it going today? We're going to look up cannibals. Okay, ready? Oh. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> oh, my God. In uh, such a sing-song voice, uh, yeah. too. Just like, this monster. <laughs> okay. So the internet searches were, quote, reliable data, and they ruled this as evidence that was going to be important to the case against Melissa and Chris. The search queries included if a grandparent has legal custody and they die, which of the parents gets the kids? And, like, just more terrible stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it can be basically inferred from this content that they probably both, but most likely Melissa was the one to have searched for this, right? She just sounds stupid, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I know, but it just yeah. goes to show how someone that unstable and um, still managed to get her kids a lot of the time. I don't think she deserved yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I feel like a lot of the courts really want the best interest of the kids for everything and so it's like it's better to have a parent that's maybe a little bit unstable than no parent at all and to be a ward of the state maybe yeah but, maybe, she, but even before that of having grandparents when she was filing all those false reports and all of that mm-hmm. like she has a history of this and they're still like you could still have half custody and whatever yeah So the prosecution's opening statement on September 27th, 2017, connected the dots between the child custody battle and all of the three Harrisons' demise and made a narrative of how it's difficult to imagine how the early investigations could have gotten so wrong. Like, how do they not match this up? Mounties, let us know. (laughs) The fuck? After three months of testimony and four days of jury deliberations, the jury foreman delivered them basically in a whisper. So the whole the whole courtroom is packed and they're all like on their edge of the seat. Like, can we can we hear you? Like, what are you doing, sir? Ma'am? <laughs> yeah. They found that Christopher was Christopher Fattore was guilty of murdering Caleb and Bridget, but that he was not guilty of murdering Bill because his body was yeah. cremated and they can't directly they match can't that prove evidence. it. Yeah. yeah, and they found that Melissa was guilty of murdering Caleb. Okay, so she at least was found to have plotted against him. Okay, directly. okay. So Melissa Merritt and Christopher Fattore received mandatory sentences of life in prison without the possibility of parole until 25 years have passed. It was two sentences for Christopher, but they are being served concurrently. How is that without parole? Or life in prison. Without the possibility of parole until 25 years. I hate the wording. Yeah, if you get life in prison until you hit 25 years, like... Yeah. So it's like, it's not 25 years to life, it's 25 years and possibility of parole. It's going to be determined at a later time. Uh, bitch, you keep your ass in jail. Yeah. Well, by then they won't be kids anymore, and this child-hungry monster will probably be beyond her child-bearing uh, years. Maybe that, I don't know, she had that, one good ovary, maybe that ovary <laughs> or give out. We don't even know if the first one actually was gone because of all her life. Oh, oh true, true, that's true. She had four of them. She had four ovaries. <laughs> four ovaries. They all had cysts and cancer. <laughs> they spread to her brain. <sighs> so over five years, Caleb Harrison's children lost their papa, their nana, and then their dad. Mm-hmm. Their whole watched, fucking life. They watched police arrest their mother mm-hmm. and charge her with murder. They aren't actually being kept on the Harrison, Harrison side of the family, despite Caleb's wish outlined in his will. Mm-hmm. He wanted his cousin to be their legal guardian in the event of his death. Almost like he knows something bad's going to happen. He had so sad. to plan ahead. Yeah. And despite his cousin's efforts to honor that wish, they were kept in protective custody. And then we don't know where they are because it's they're still yeah. protecting their privacy. So Melissa Merritt and Christopher Fattore received mandatory sentences. And I guess that's basically it. They're obviously <laughs> contesting it. But... Ugh. Anger. Frustrate. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. Fuck. Really nothing good here. I hate this. I I'm hate so this. I'm so sorry, Meredith. I cried. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. That child having to go in and find his nana, like, fuck those people. Mm-hmm. They can rot in fucking hell. I think yeah. I found her birthday. Okay. It might not be accurate, but I think... I found a couple different articles, so it's 81 is her birth year, uh-huh. from what I can find. And then I found one little snippet that said July 24th, which would make her a Leo. Oh. And then Fatori is uh, October 21st of 77, so he, he would be a Libra. Oh, wow. Double L. Well, she was extremely dramatic. Very dramatic, very self-centered. Yeah. I hate both of and them. And as a Libra, yes. Christopher 
had no fucking backbone. I'm going to shit on Libras again, but like, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely did what the Leo told him to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Uh, oh. It's, I mean, it's an interesting story. I just, fuck those people. I mean, it's, it's almost like they're family annihilators. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah. And I'm just so astounded, like the coincidences that are not coincidences. Like, like they coincide and that's the only part that matches because it's supposed to match because it's the same fucking person doing it. Ugh. Yeah. That's rough. I'm just sad that like yeah. the cousin couldn't get custody of the two kids. Yeah. So that at least they would still be part of their family. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Did it say where the other four kids went? No, I didn't see that part. Because the two were Caleb's, but then the other four were theirs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did also find a little article that said in 2018, because Caleb was murdered, right? So he died. So technically that voided their marriage (laughs) since they never got divorced. Oh, (laughs) finally. So she never actually was married to Fattore. So um, in 2018, she married a lady named Sheena McIntosh. Oh. Well. Ah. Okay. Is Sheena also in prison? No, I'm guessing no, because it said then they got to go to the, like, uh, sex room or whatever the fuck you call that. Oh, the conjugal visit Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it sounds like she's used to trailers anyway. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. I fucking hate it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't expect us to love any of these. <laughs> no. But yeah, this one was... Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting story. It's an interesting talk about, I don't know, let's make some connections, police people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, sequentially, that family, I mean, was completely just taken out. Mm-hmm. And they were like the pillar of the rest of the family, too. Like, right. everyone went to them. They all went to their house for the family gatherings. Yeah. Well, and they didn't all go at once, so they also had to grieve. And then another one mm-hmm. got killed, and they grieved some more. And that's yeah. it. I think the thing that hits me the most is these grandparents really wanted to be involved. They really wanted to love these children and do the best they could for them. And so, like, to be spiteful towards them for any reason like they weren't trying to harm these children they weren't trying to turn the children against you like they were just trying to help grow and educate and love these children Mm -hmm. and that fuck that just gets me and melissa has like a persecution complex or something because yeah yeah I mean, she's just selfish. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, she basically was mad at them for stepping in when Caleb was incapable because he was hospitalized. Yeah, and for doing a good job. She was really mad about that. Yeah. Like, right. probably what had happened with the, where the kids were like, we want to spend more time with yeah. Nana and Papa because they take us places and do fun things. And you're just constantly popping out more siblings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then on the topic of astrology, so some of the negative traits of Leo, if that truly is her birthday, I, you know, I'm not 100% positive, but that is what the date I came across, is possessiveness. Oh, so yeah. children are mine. Yeah. Egotistical, mm-hmm. right? And then impatient and then self-centered. So, I mean, that's all very apparent. So impatient she couldn't go through a real divorce first. Well, it's treating the kids, too, as just an extension of yourself. Like, look what I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not Mm -hmm. a... I made this. You're mine. mine. And then not thinking about how they actually have their own little lives and... And feelings and thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Though I do tell... I do tell my kid, I'm like, who loves you the best? And she's like, you do. And I'm like, and why is that? And she's like, because you made me. (laughs) I mean, let me tell you. I put a lot of work into you, so. I cultivated that for nine months, man. You were an incubator. Okay. Um, I do have a little bit more astrology. Sweet. um, But I do want to just give a quick shout out. So my future brother-in-law will be celebrating his birthday this upcoming week. This episode is going to air on the 28th. And I'm still like, he's not my brother-in-law quite yet. So it's either the 2nd or the 3rd of March. I can't remember. But happy birthday to you. We can figure out your birthday at the wedding. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And... So on Tuesday, March 1st, the sun in Pisces will be sextile with Uranus and Taurus. So again, sextiles 
Holy. That 60 degree <laughs> aspect. And this is a really great day. This is going to be a day full of surprises. It's going <gasps> to stimulate our minds. It's going to stimulate our hearts. It's going to stimulate our imaginations. So Tuesday is just going to be kind of, I feel like it's going to be a really magical kind of day. And then on Wednesday, the 2nd of March, we get the new moon in Pisces. And so Pisces gives these incredible vibes of positivity and kindness. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing magic fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Jazz hands. And so on on Wednesday, this is going to be a really positive day. So we're also going to be more generous with our time and our affection towards others. So this is a good week. if you feel a little extra lovey-dovey, let it out. I like writing tiny, nice notes too. For like random people and just that's like, sweet hi this is nice i did that once when i was grading something and i was like this is an excellent sentence with like a little smiley face because like every now and then you come across one of those sentence structures from <laughs> someone and you're just like wow that's awesome. i did the opposite on mine because my old roommate got a stamp that just said boring and i just <laughs> but she was one of my favorite students and i was like lol that's just awesome. kidding but i thought you'd appreciate the stamp but <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I love that. I bought for one of my coworkers because we review fire reports a what the fuck stamp. It's <laughs> just a big WTF. Nice. I should get you guys some of that for your grading. <laughs> it comes WTF up a lot. Too. Like, what are you saying? Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. On Thursday, March 3rd, this is not going ah, to be damn. the best day. So I'm going to bring up a word called conjunct. We I don't think we've talked about oh. conjunct yet. So conjunct, conjunction, if you will. This is when two planets are in the same sign. So there's like an influx of energy because they're both in the same sign. So on Thursday, March 3rd, Venus and Capricorn is going to be conjunct with Pluto and Capricorn. Ooh. And... This is going to be a day that relationships are impacted. So there's going to be a focus on obsession and possessiveness that could come up and create issue. If it does come up and create issue for you and your relationship, things can escalate quickly. So bear that in mind. (sighs) Capricorns. Deep breaths. Because it's dual Capricorn, you get a very extra intense feeling. It could also be very mm-hmm. uh, possessive, to be honest. Anyways, just keep that in mind. So, if, you know, if you're in a romantic relationship and, I don't know, maybe just have a me day. Uh, yes. <laughs> just don't be a part of the relationship for a day. <laughs> Take some self-care time. Go get a massage. Give your partner some self-care time. <laughs> and then maybe right. it won't be so bad. But that's what I've got for astrology. I think Otter has hiccups. Oh, how cute. Oh, no. I think it's going to be in the Oh, yeah, I can't recording, wait. Recording, because I can see his purring, and it's like, uh, every now and then in the purr. <laughs> Just like a little blip. That's so sweet. Um, we're looking for a fart, though, Otter. Can you please produce? Otter, it's for you. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah, for this episode. I'm so sorry, Meredith. I didn't mean to. <laughs> the part that got me was the kid had to find his Nana... Yeah. And that's not cool. It's just not cool. I would say it pulls up my heartstrings. It was not a gruesome crime scene. And True. Maybe I would think originally maybe she had a heart attack or something natural and it's a little better, but it's still fucking terrible. It's fucking terrible mm-hmm. because they fucking left her there for him to find. But yeah, yeah. Like, they knew. They stole the kids when they killed the grandfather. Yeah. So why not steal the kids again? I mean, maybe they thought that Caleb would find her first. Yeah. Or like maybe his shift changed at work where he got home later than the kids were supposed to that day. Yeah, but still, if she was a good mother, she would not put her children through any of this bullshit. I don't think we've ever considered her a good mother. No. No. But like, I mean, even if you're a mediocre mother, though, you wouldn't want to damage your kid in that fashion because that's something like finding a dead body when you're a kid especially if someone you know yeah i mean that's got to be just horrific so it was a good story though thank you for telling it just one of those ones that fucking pisses me off (laughs) so yeah i have a quote all right okay cat quote and i will say i don't agree with this quote but it's from robert black no idea why do I prefer cats to dogs? I have never stepped in cat shit. Which is true, but I have stepped in cat vomit, so. 
Vomit is a real thing. I let the cats go in the garage right now, and it's all green and grassy back there, and Morris keeps eating grass and then coming inside and barfing it up. So I keep finding barf spots Mm -hmm. that I step in with my socks on. Otter loves dry leaves. As we get warmer weather, we have a like a cat condo for our two indoor cats Aww. so they can go outside and have grass. There's a little, a little gravel smells, box and stuff. The wind. Yeah. But yeah, then they always come in and just harf fucking everywhere. All right. Okay. I mean, dog shit to me almost every time causes me to gag. Like, oh, yeah. Up. If I had to the smell choose, of it, it's just. I'd rather step on cat shit than dog shit. Yeah, it it has, I mean, it smells, it's stinky, but it's like a normal stinky dog shit to me is like, if you would like to connect with us, we are on Twitter at True Trine. We are on Instagram at True Crime Trine, Facebook, TCT Podcast. Um, You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. We would really love to hear from you guys. And then check out our website. It's amazing. www.truecrimetrine.com. Bye. Bye. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.